Camera one, camera two. Camera one, camera two. Hmm. Weird. Where did Freddy go? Welcome to a new episode of Post Credits with Gil Garcia, where we go beyond the final scene. Happy Halloween, everyone! And as October comes to a close, we have one final film left to review, and that is Five Nights at Freddy's, the adaptation of the immensely popular video game franchise. Thank you all for hanging out with me throughout the spooky season. Now, looking back at the month, we've reviewed every Saw film, Hereditary, Hocus Pocus, and The Nightmare Before Christmas. It's been a ton of fun, and I appreciate all the support that you guys have given me. I have a lot of ideas already churning for next year, especially since by this time next year, there's not going to be any movies out since the writer strike is going on. <laughs> so October 2024 will likely include the VHS film franchise, Hocus Pocus 2, the original Halloween, maybe a Final Destination movie or two, or Casper the Friendly Ghost with Christina Ricci. There's a lot to look forward to, and I can't wait to come back to this next year in October. But as for today, we are getting back to our original format of the show, non-spoiler reviews throughout the first three acts of the show, then we will have the spoiler discussion after the credits. I mostly only do this when there's a new release film coming out, especially since Five Nights at Freddy's just came out this week. Let's not delay any further. It's time to take the night shift at Freddy Fazbear's Pizza Parlor and dive into Five Nights at Freddy's. In Five Nights at Freddy's, a troubled security guard begins working at Freddy Fazbear's Pizza. During his first night on the job, he realizes that the night shift won't be so easy to get through. Pretty soon, he will unveil what actually happened at Freddy's. FNAF, as everyone calls it, is directed by Emma Tammy, who also directed this film called The Wind, and it's written by Scott Cawthon, who is the original creator of Five Nights at Freddy's, the video game series, Seth Cudaback, and Emma Tammy herself. The film stars Josh Hutcherson as Mike Schmidt, who is known for The Hunger Games as Peter Malark and the movie Zathura. It also stars Piper Rubio as Abby, Elizabeth Lale as Vanessa, and of course, Matthew Lillard as Steve Ragland, famous from Scream, Scooby-Doo, and Summer Catch. So I consider myself a gamer. I play a wide variety of genres and franchises, but I've always viewed the Five Nights at Freddy's games as kind of a gimmick in a way. It's fun the first couple times around, good for a couple cheap scares and laughs, and it's especially fun when you hand the controller or the phone over to your relatives and friends. Seeing them freak out the first time that the jump scares happen is always a good time. But I never really understood how it sparked so many spinoffs, so many cartoons, and I didn't even know it has a book written about it. It's kind of crazy. It quite literally became a global phenomenon. And going into this movie, my expectations were really low. I knew that it was a horror film geared towards fans of the games and children especially. The movie is specifically rated PG-13 so it can appeal to that wide demographic of audiences. 
I went into my showing of the movie with an open mind. Of course, the rating means we're not going to see gratuitous violence, language, and traumatic imagery, since, after all, the movie is catering to its young audience. But what I was looking forward to, especially with my limited time with the FNAF experience, was the iconic jump scares. For the uninitiated, Five Nights at Freddy's is a horror video game where the player is a security guard who must perform these minor tasks to keep a pizzeria safe overnight. The tasks include flipping breakers, checking surveillance cameras, and locking doors. The pizzeria takes on the persona of a classic Chuck E. Cheese family dining experience, so there's an arcade, a salad bar, pizza, and a group of animatronics that sing for the patrons, much like Chuck E. Cheese. The hook of the story is that the animatronic animals come alive when you're not watching them on the monitor. It's extremely creepy and atmospheric, because one minute you'll be flipping a breaker, then you check the security cameras, and the animatronics have inched closer to your security control door. It's the same effect that the angels in Doctor Who have, where if you blink for a second, they get closer to you. You have to flip the cameras, they get closer to you, and blink by blink, eventually, they attack the camera in a terrifying jump scare. It's a simple premise that works really well, surprisingly. And like I said, I have had fun with it in the past, but it's not a game I would stick around with or delve deep into. But I do see that this film does have a lot of potential. The premise alone is enough to sell you on the idea of this being a film franchise. However, the problem lies in the egregious number of media spin-offs. As the game became more popular, it became more convoluted and complicated with the storyline. For a game that seemingly should have just been shovelware for Steam or mobile, FNAF has developed extremely deep lore, and look guys, I take this show very seriously. I like to do research on the films that I discuss, and while I was preparing for this episode, I fell down the rabbit hole of Five Nights at Freddy's lore videos, just to catch up and hopefully find some easter eggs and references going into the film. A couple co-workers or two have come to me after watching this movie telling me, Gil, it's great. It takes care of its source material and it does a great job of referencing those games. However, on the other side, my favorite YouTubers and film critics call this movie an abomination. They say this movie is a piece of shit. So do I trust my co-workers word who actually loves the video game franchise? Or do I trust the word of my favorite film reviewers, those whose opinions I tend to agree with quite a lot? The curiosity alone had me very excited to watch the movie. Is my coworker correct in saying that it's faithful and that it's a fun adaptation? Or are the critics correct for being a soulless cash grab? It's time we get to the second act of the episode. Here is my official, spoiler-free Review of Five Nights at Freddy's. Alright, I'm gonna just jump straight to the score first and foremost. This is a 2 out of 5. This movie was pretty difficult to sit through. (laughs) I often leave my review score for the very end of my review so that there's some type of... I guess, tension or anticipation for what I actually thought of the movie, but I'm going to be upfront. This is a two out of five. And I'm sorry, Damien, but Five Nights at Freddy's, 
even with the references, Easter eggs, and direct love of the video game franchise, this is a slog of a movie to watch. Oh my god, dude, this was hard. <laughs> I had to pause the movie several times just to wake myself up because of how bad it was. From the vague expository flashbacks and dream sequences to the massively underserved subplot about the character's custody battle, I found Five Nights at Freddy's to be completely devoid of humor, action, and personality. I'm one of these movie enthusiasts who believes that dream sequences and flashbacks are a cheap, non-creative way to serve the narrative of the film. Instead of cleverly working in some details into a character's backstory, either with visual clues or dialogue, some dream sequences serve as expository dumps that break up any type of flow or rhythm to a film. Every time this movie was getting to some action or intrigue, it took a hard right turn, causing the film to come to a complete stop where Mike is visualizing a childhood trauma that he had. It happens so often that I verbally found myself saying, oh, for fuck's sake. It takes you so out of the movie and especially the present day story so many times. It's frustrating. And it isn't that these shots are poorly made. They're just so boring. They're inconsequential. And they don't do a good job of making us care for Mike. If you're writing a film that includes over 10 flashbacks, Perhaps you should go back to the drawing board. Maybe you should craft the story during the time period of the flashbacks. Have it progress naturally instead of having it take place in 2023 and then jarringly cut back so often. This is supposed to be a fun jump scare popcorn horror flick. Not some philosophical existential venture through the subconscious of a very bland, very vanilla protagonist. This is a clear indictment of the movie's director, Emma Tammy, and the lead writer, who is the creator of Five Nights at Freddy's, Scott Cawthon. Sure, you created the games, the books, the cartoons, but sometimes it's better to leave your work to the handling of trained and experienced filmmakers, people who have experience writing big-time Hollywood movies. The constant barrage of time jumps is a staple of poor first time writing and directing. Tammy and Cawthon were clearly cautious about their way of making the film digestible for the mass audiences, that they relied way too heavily on these tropes to carry the movie. It makes me feel so badly for the film's leading actor, Josh Hutcherson. Josh really is doing the best with what he's got here. And what they wrote for him here is a character who has nothing going on in his life. There is no discernible personality traits or strengths. He is just an ordinary dude doing mundane things just to keep his sister safe. He is not particularly strong, charismatic, or fun to watch. In fact, his character takes sleeping pills half the time in the movie. How fun it is to spend an entire movie with a character who would rather sleep on the job than do something with his life. What a fun, happy movie that we are watching. <laughs> we are really rooting for this ball of energy that Josh Hutcherson is bringing to the screen. <laughs> but I don't want to hit on him too hard. On a personal level, my empathy for Josh is greatly increased because of this movie. Clearly, his career hasn't taken off the way that he had imagined. 
compared to his acting counterparts in the Hunger Games, like Jennifer Lawrence, Liam Hemsworth, even Jack Quaid. Yes, that Jack Quaid from The Boys and Scream 5. He was a cast member of the Hunger Games. Check that out. (laughs) Everyone has gone on to become a mega movie star, except for Josh Hutcherson. With this movie, Josh does take some acting leaps. He has some emotional scenes and action scenes, but but they just come off as forgettable and mundane. At no point in the movie did I feel worried for Mike, Abby, or Vanessa, who is his love interest in the film. It really did feel like this movie had a lot going on, but nothing going on at the same time. <laughs> if that makes any sense. You'll, you'll probably find out if you watch this movie. I almost think that it's kind of insulting to call this a horror movie. Because there's hardly any horror in the movie itself. Outside of a few jump scares and a neat hide-and-seek scene, there's really nothing to cling on to. Nothing memorable. I really do mean that there are a few jump scares. There were a total of seven in the entire movie, and they are all very predictable and calculated. I should know. I counted them all. <laughs> it's sad that there are limitations to what they could do with this movie. I mentioned the limitations of the PG-13 rating at the top of the show, and it's just a shame. The concept of sentient animatronics ripping people apart and shredding their faces could be really horrifying to witness. But every person that is killed by Freddy, Chica, Foxy, and Bonnie is murdered off screen. The movie does that cliche thing of showing a victim being homed in on, it cuts away, and then we hear their screams echo through the pizzeria. I think there are ways to portray a character being killed in a PG-13 setting without having to go to gratuitous violence. When there is no violence in a horror film, the effect of seeing characters getting killed off screen doesn't really feel gratifying or interesting. But on top of that, it isn't just about the horror. The movie has a lot of problems just from a story standpoint. There are a ton of plot holes and oversights. And a quick example of this comes in the third act when one of the animatronics appears at Mike's house. I was thinking to myself, how the fuck did that get there? It brings up so, so many questions. Did anyone in public see it get there? Did it call a cab? Is this some type of supernatural thing where they could just teleport anywhere they want? It's fucking bizarre. I'm going to talk about that more in spoilers, but there is something else that happens in that scene that completely undermines the entire narrative anchor of the film, and it just gets glossed over with some throwaway lines. The rules and world that is created with this franchise is much better served as a video game in my opinion, or at the very least, could have benefited from having much more competent talent on hand to adapt the source material. I could continue on with the logic lapses and other major issues that the movie has, but I want to spin some positives. Like I do with most of the movies that I review here, I want to take the time to rattle off things that I did like with this movie. From a visual direction, the movie is actually very faithful to its source material. Simple shots like Mike peering through some curtains with a flashlight do harken back to the video game. It's a testament to the set and costume design here that the animatronics are extremely accurate to the video game. They are cute when they are friendly, but they're also extremely horrifying when they are rampaging through the pizzeria. 
If the movie had a darker, edgier, and better tone, I think these animals could work as iconic horror film icons. The pizzeria is extremely faithful as well, especially the way they use the security camera inserts. Some frames of the film look like they were ripped straight from the video game. Another big positive and highlight for me was one character that I wanted to see more of, and that was Matthew Lillard's Steve. Lillard is the most veteran crew member on hand here. He has far more diverse and qualified IMDb resume credits than the director, the writers, or any of the actors here. So his on-screen presence is exactly what the film needed to inject into it with life. Sadly, though, he isn't on screen that often in this movie to leave a big imprint on the film, which is a huge bummer and a missed opportunity. The end of the film is open-ended, so there's a chance he can return to do a sequel, but I sure as hell won't. (laughs) Oh, man. I can't say that I'm disappointed in Five Nights at Freddy's. I knew what I signed up for when I watched the movie, but I just don't like it. It's tough to sit through as an adult, and if your child is a huge FNAF fan, they will surely get a kick out of it. The studio is already raking in major money at the box office, despite being released the same day on Peacock's streaming service. So in that way, I really respect the movie for what it tried to do. Getting people back into the theaters is always a plus in my book. However, I stand firm on my review. The live-action adaptation of Five Nights at Freddy's gets a 2 out of 5. The next act of our show is the part of the podcast where I go over the critical reception, the audience reviews, and filmmaking factoids. Let's get into Act 3. This is the part of the show where we go over the critical and audience reactions to the films we review. As it currently stands, Five Nights is holding at 28% rotten on the tomato meter. Ouch. Critics' consensus says Emma Tammy's horror mystery film isn't perfect, but it's compelling and scary enough to beg for sequels. It's a fun gateway horror movie for kids. The audience reception reciprocates the consensus, holding strong at 89% approval. Like my coworker, fans and casual audiences are pleasantly happy with the way that this movie turned out, and good for them. If this is the movie that you wanted, Enjoy it to your heart's content. I won't hold it against you. I can see how this movie does have merit with its fans. We started a new tradition on this show a couple weeks back with my Hereditary review. I was scouring through the reception of the film through Rotten Tomatoes, and I wanted to know what the audience thought. And since that day, I've introduced a new segment of my show where I take a look at some one-star reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. Here are the one-star reviews of Five Nights at Freddy's. Oscar writes, What an awful movie. Kids today have horrible taste. (laughs) Oscar, look, I didn't like the movie either, but let's not pretend that children of the 90s, the 80s, the 70s, and the 60s were some type of film savants either. I, in fact, liked Biodome as a kid. (laughs) So... I don't hold that against the kids. This is what they grew up with. This is what they know. Machine Sugar goes on to say, No Markiplier sex scene? Zero out of five. Worst movie I have ever seen. (laughs) Funnily enough, 
this was going to be on my filmmaking factoids, but I think it's worth mentioning here. Markiplier was supposed to be in the film playing the security guard who gets killed in the opening scene, but he overall had to decline over scheduling conflicts. I think he's directing a film of his own called Iron Lung or something like that. But Markiplier is one of the most famous YouTubers on the planet, adding to the popularity of this video game franchise. And I think that would have been a cool callback if they did include him in the movie. So you're right, Machine Sugar. Zero out of five. He should have had a sex scene here. <laughs> and now the final one-star review comes from Tissy R. She says, This movie was a waste of time. Wait till it's free. The best parts of Five Nights at Freddy's were seen in the trailer. It took too long to get to the point and a huge disappointment when it finally got there. I won't say too much in case someone hasn't seen it and would like to. I agree with Tissy there. It does take too long to get to the point. And although my opinion is really negative about this film, seeing the audience reception be so positive had me curious about the five-star reviews. So let's get some five-star reviews in here to kind of lighten the load and balance things out. Starting with Claire S. She makes a good point and says, I don't know what the critics were expecting with this movie, but I was expecting goofy looking animatronics that kill people and I got that. That's the best takeaway for the movie. If you come in with knowledge of the source material, you'll likely enjoy this movie a lot more, but on a competent filmmaking level, it's a complete mess. I do respect your insight though, Claire, and I'm glad you enjoyed the movie and the video games. WK chimes in and says, this is the best teen and preteen appropriate horror film made in over 20 years. I thoroughly enjoyed it with my 13-year-old and my 11-year-old, who both played the FNAF games and loved this movie. Really nice there. That's, that's a good way of putting it. I can't really think of many preteen appropriate horror films off the top of my head, but you may be right. This may be the best one in 20 years, and you know there's not many to choose from either. And the last one for all of you Five Nights fans, Samantha has your back. She says, this is an absolute must-see if you are a fan of the FNAF franchise, or even if you just grew up with it. The movie did have its issues, as any movie does, but it was such a love letter to the franchise. This movie is for us, and the team did an incredible job staying faithful to the source material. Actors did a great job, and impressive is an understatement regarding the animatronics they made. The practical effects they used looked incredible and believable. Such a win. And there you go. There's some good and some bad for you. I, I like this segment of the show a lot because it gives you, the listeners, a chance to hear from people who unapologetically love the movies that we talk about or furiously hate them. It's a neat, fun little balancing act that we do here on Post Credits. And now it's time for our filmmaking factoids and trivia. The first factoid that I have for you, and this plays into why I thought the movie was striking visually. Unlike most studios using CGI for bringing characters to life, Jim Henson's Creature Shop was responsible for the creation of the Fazbear animatronics. Hollywood, please give us more of this. Practical filmmaking, when done properly, is the best kind of movie magic that you can have. Less CGI, more practical. Let's go, Hollywood. You can do this. To that point, because of Foxy's skeletal-like structure, he was built as a full-body animatronic puppet and was performed by Russ Walco 
along with a group of puppeteers from the Jim Henson Company. In shots where Foxy walked, it took as many as six puppeteers to accomplish his full range of motions and movements. Foxy is probably the most terrifying of the five characters too, and I love that they stuck to their guns on letting him come to life like this. That's a lot of effort, and it looks really good on screen. I gotta give him credit. In August 2018, Scott Cawthon said that if the first film were to be successful, there could be a second and third film, following the events of the second and third games respectively. In January 2023, in an interview on the podcast Weekly MTG, Matthew Lillard revealed that he signed on to do a three-picture deal with the studios. Yeah, we are definitely getting those sequels. And this next factoid is a big reason why. FNAF grossed $78 million domestically in its opening weekend, more than any other Blumhouse film to date, surpassing Halloween 2018 with $76 million that weekend. It's also the second biggest opening weekend gross for any film based on a video game after the Super Mario Brothers movie with $146 million. Good job to Blumhouse and kudos to the cast and crew here. They do have a financial success on their hands. Like in the games, Foxy can be heard humming before he attacks. He's the only character with a voice. The rest just lip sync to predetermined tunes programmed for the shows. This factoid is really interesting. The banana splits became public domain in the early 2010s. And in 2019, there was a movie made off the banana splits the Hanna-Barbera TV show. It is speculated to be a reworking of the original Five Nights at Freddy's film that Warner Brothers had commissioned before the rights went to Blumhouse Productions. For those who haven't seen 2019's Banana Splits, that film really does feel like an R-rated Five Nights movie. If you enjoyed this film, you should definitely find that movie streaming and watch it. It's fantastically horrible. (laughs) Now for our final factoid of the day. Director Emma Tammy has said that there will not be a gorier director's cut for Five Nights at Freddy's. The one you get on Peacock is the one you're going to receive when it comes to Blu-ray and 4K. So with that, my friends, we have come to the conclusion of the spoiler-free review. If you don't care about spoilers or if you have watched Five Nights at Freddy's, stay after my outro song. We will have some important plot details to talk about. If this is the end of the episode for you, I want to thank you for listening. On Instagram, I have officially revealed the November episode schedule. Go check that out if you get a chance. Next week, I'll be covering the criminally forgotten Wachowski film, V for Vendetta, specifically for the 5th of November. (laughs) To view the rest of the schedule, follow the show on social media. Just look for PC with Gil on Twitter and Instagram. All one word. If you haven't already, please subscribe and review the show on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Spotify. I'm Gil Garcia, and you should go catch a movie. This is a spoiler alert. This is a spoiler alert.
and welcome back. I want to start this off by saying that I was completely unaware that this video game was all about ghost children possessing the animatronics. When I did my research on the lore of the franchise, I found some insane shit. <laughs> and they touch upon a lot of it in this movie. The plot twist of Steve Ragland, played by Matthew Lillard, being William Afton, the owner of Freddy Fazbear's Pizzeria, was so fucking obvious. It's clear that you don't hire on a famous horror film antagonist to play a, just a mundane counselor role. It was orchestrated way too evidently and left nothing to imagine for the viewer. Anyone surprised by the plot twist has either never seen a movie before or is literally a child. <laughs> a big departure from the video game franchise is that the game's lore indicates that Afton went insane over the grief of his partner's daughter's death, but none of that is evident here. Afton's motivations are so generic and not earned to justify the cruelties of his actions. There is no reason why William should be doing all this. It's particularly stupid and egregious that he happened to be the person who kidnapped and killed Mike's younger brother Garrett. It's kind of a testament to how good Matthew Lillard is that I didn't mind this aspect of the film, but at the same time, come on. This character is so thinly written, it makes no sense that he's doing all of this. I also found it very confusing as to what the story was trying to do with the flashbacks and connection to Mike. Were these sequences supernatural connections to the ghosts of the children? Were they delusional contrivances inside of Mike's head? Was it a side effect of the sleeping pills that he was taking? Can he only imagine this when he's inside the pizzeria, or do these nightmares go with him into his home as well? All of this was just so vague and poorly written, it feels like a student film that thinks it's trying to be clever and prestigious. I do not like it. Every single time the movie cut away from the pizzeria or showed Mike taking a nap, I audibly groaned. I knew that they were going to do a flashback. This style of writing and filmmaking is unbearable. I cannot stand this shit. Who the fuck even likes flashbacks and dream sequences? let alone making 50% of the film's runtime dedicated to them. They aren't even interesting either. It's the same scene each time he flashes back. Mike is in the woods the day that his brother got kidnapped. He then talks to the ghost child of Freddy and then continues to get more confused by what the hell is going on around him. It's bad. It's a fucking chore to watch, dude. It's so boring. I legitimately want to ask anyone who has watched this movie, did you feel any kind of emotional attachment to Mike in these scenes? Did the flashbacks enhance your enjoyment of the horror elements of the movie? Because I just found them completely useless. This month, I feel like Josh Hutcherson is going to receive a lot of attention. With The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes right around the corner, people are going to revisit The Hunger Games series and remember him. This movie is going to add to that conversation and get people asking, what the hell happened to Josh Hutcherson? Now granted, the FNAF film is already successful, but do I see this relaunching his career? I don't think so. Josh is given some lackluster material to act with, which doesn't broaden his range or acting prowess. But for what it's worth, it's very likely that he stumbled upon another franchise to hang his hat on. He's going to be attached to this franchise for the foreseeable future, and he's going to earn a lot of money because of it. But I just do not see him getting the resurgence of roles the way that Jennifer Lawrence has seemingly had. 
And apart from the bullshit that went on with Mike, I did like some of the horror sequences in the film. The one where the burglars break in and get picked off one by one is actually pretty intense. If I were 13 years old, I would have gotten a kick out of it. But the shot of Max getting eaten in half is rather hilariously bad. They clearly couldn't shoot that scene with gore or blood, so they had to creatively think outside the box on how to portray it. So they take a wide-angle shot of Bonnie's silhouette chomping on Max in the shadows, and it cuts her in half. It looks insanely stupid, but you gotta make do with what you have. Now, although the scene is good, the reason for them being in the pizzeria is so absurd and stupid. I mentioned earlier that there is a huge plot point that just gets dropped and resolved quickly, and that is the custody battle over Abby. It's the hugest crux of the film and the reason why Josh Hutcherson and Mike are in this position in the first place, but this exact resolution is so underwhelming and stupid, I just couldn't get over it. Mike and Abby's aunt is aggressively trying to fuck over Mike so that she can win custody of Abby and get some type of monthly payments that the state gives to Mike. It's an evil plan that's not nefarious enough to resonate with the audience, and it's not quite clever either. What the fuck are we even watching here? It's made all the more ridiculous by the fact that she's willing to get her nephew fired from his job, she hires some goons to trash his workplace, and even is willing to have him killed just to win over the custody of Abby. But if that isn't the worst aspect of the film, it gets resolved in a completely unsatisfying way. A damaged Freddy animatronic randomly appears at Mike's house, kills his Aunt Jane, and then fucks off. There's no mention of her murder after that moment for the remainder of the film. It gets swept under the rug in place of a happy ending, but it brings up so many flaws in logic and plot holes that I mentioned. I'm thoroughly frustrated that we had to spend that much time on this custody battle just to have it resolved this way. There are so many other things that bother me outside of this plot point that I'll not go into detail with because we'd be here for over three hours and also because it will come off as nitpicking. Some of those plot points include like, why wasn't Mike arrested for assaulting the father in the mall at the beginning of the film? How the fuck did Freddy find and arrive at Mike's house? Why wasn't the pizzeria demolished after being closed down for over 20 years? If it was not in use for that long, why are there brand new pinball machines and pizza boxes just laying around the place? Wouldn't Mike be suspicious about guarding a pizzeria that has been shut down for that long? Why would anyone want to break into it? <laughs> like I said, I could go on and on. These are just major potholes that stand out to me that just frustrated me when I was watching it. I tried to block all these pain points out because I really did want to have fun with this movie. And look, we've had a lot of really good adaptations from video games on film recently. And I'm very much on board with video game adaptations being the new standard for Hollywood if they're done with care and craftsmanship. And to the credit of the creator of the franchise, he was very hands-on with this movie and it plays to the film's only strength. But I would stay away from calling this the best video game adaptation ever as a lot of people have been on Rotten Tomatoes. It's nowhere close. Perhaps it's one of the most faithful adaptations, but it is not a good enough movie to hold above Sonic the Hedgehog, 
both of them. Detective Pikachu, Gran Turismo, the Mortal Kombat remake, and hell, even the Super Mario Brothers movie, which I didn't enjoy that movie either. And it's especially underwhelming when compared to the HBO Max original, The Last of Us. But fans will be fans. They will tell you that this is the greatest thing since sliced bread, and they're entitled to that opinion. But blind love is a double-edged sword. In one aspect, it can make you appreciate art and find happiness in something imperfect. Or in the other aspect, it can close your mind to the realization that you're being indoctrinated and don't think openly for yourself. You don't see the film's flaws at all. If you're going to watch this film, I would recommend doing so on Peacock. There aren't enough scares to justify a night out in the theaters, and there's not enough humor to justify being in a crowded environment. I found this movie neither funny nor scary, and it exists only to exist. So that is all I had for Five Nights at Freddy's. Let me know what you thought about the movie. I'm curious if you and your kids liked it. Or did you see the movie the way I did and found it to be an unbearable slog of nothing? <laughs> Let me know on social media. I will see you folks back next week and have a happy and safe Halloween.